Amen. Good morning, church. Really looking forward to being with you guys. My name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here on staff at Grace. And this is our last week in our Love Sick series. Everyone said, aww. <laughs> See, thank you. I've loved this series, and I hope that you've loved it as much as I have. We've been dissecting. Come on. See, whoever's clapping, I like that person. I'm going to preach to this section wherever you are. I'm preaching to you. Um, <laughs> we've been dissecting our love taking a look at our love. Over the past six, week, we, six weeks, we've talked about marriage. We've talked about singleness. We've talked about uh, uh, our core casual and critical desires. If you're still uh, uh, marinating in that one like I am, that one was a huge message for me. We've talked about so many different things as it uh, uh, is speaking about love. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to finish out our series. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. And today, the topic of discussion is dating. So we're going to be speaking about relationships. Now, if you hear that and you're married, um, I don't want you to check out. I think if you're married, you probably don't ever want to stop dating that person. And if you aren't in that place right now, you can find yourself saying, I'm going to probably be in that place at some point soon, or I'm going to be around somebody who is in that place. And so we're going to take some biblical truths from Scripture to see how it applies to this aspect of our lives. Debatably, the most important thing to Jesus is relationship. You find him when he's speaking in the Gospels, and somebody comes up to him and says, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? And he responds by saying, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. That the greatest thing that Jesus says that you and I can do is love God and love people, relationship. And so as we engage in relationship, I'm encouraged by this series because we have aimed not to give you tips and tricks and isms and quotable things that make you feel good as you leave the room, but we're trying to tell you what the Bible has to say about relationship. You don't need my opinion on relationship. My opinion will do nothing for you as it deals with the most intimate areas of your life. What we need to dissect and look, take a look at truthfully and actually is what does the word of God have to say about relationship? Isn't it interesting that we probably go to many other places before we go to the author of relationship for relationship advice? <laughs> that we search everywhere except for the guy who actually created a relationship, except for the person, the God who is actually in, him, in and of himself, relationship in the Trinity. We're going to take a look at that. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26. Just one verse for us. In the ESV, it says this. Ponder the paths of your feet, and then all of your ways will be sure. Ponder the paths of your feet, and then all of the ways, all of your ways will be sure. Or in the NIV, it says it this way. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all of your ways. What I want to title this message is desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I want to say you've got two things. One, the way and how we date. And two, the why of how we date. Will you pray with me for a minute? Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I'm submitting this moment to you. 
saying, Holy Spirit, would you do a ministry that is greater than anything that we can do in and of ourselves, in our preparation, in our capabilities. Lord, where we are weak, you're strong. And God, right now I'm asking that you would open our eyes and our ears to allow us to see and hear everything that you want us to. We submit it to you. God, aiming for your presence to be our ultimate prize. Would you be here with us? Speak to us, teach us, shape us, Lord. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever thought of who taught you how to be in relationships? Like, who is your relationship coach? You ever thought about that? The, the, you take into consideration that many people are trying to teach you how to be in relationships, but who did you receive your lessons from? Did you receive them from culture? As in you look around at what everyone else is doing in the area and in, in the society and the season in which you're in and you take inventory there and you say, that's how I'm going to decide how I'm supposed to do relationships, specifically romantic relationships. Did you learn from your friendships? You look around at your friend group and you say, well, they dated like this and it worked and they dated like that and it didn't, so I'm going to date like this. Did you look at maybe your family? Maybe they taught you how to be in a relationship. If you're fortunate that your family actually cultivated that on the inside of you and said, this is how you're supposed to engage in romantic relationships. Maybe you're even uh, taking advice from yourself that you just follow what you want to do and you say, well, this is what feels right to me and this is what feels bad to me, so I'm just going to go with whatever I feel. Maybe you even went to Scripture and you say, what does the Bible have to say about relationships? And, and I want to search the Scriptures and see how God wants me to actually follow his, lead in, his, his leadership in relationships. What I've realized is that we, no matter where we're at, need more guidance in relationships than ever before ever before. We need somebody to teach us how to be in healthy relationships. In this whole series, what we're aiming to do is do far more relationship prepare than relationship repair. We're trying to prepare us to be in healthy relationships, knowing that there's going to be some reparation necessary, but we want to do as little of that as possible. And we believe the way that you do that is that we prepare for relationships. You see, our, our generation is, is, drowning in a sea of cliches and broken promises about relationships. And what we're aiming to do is to throw out a life raft, to, to, to bring by the, the safety boat, to, to throw out a, a line of help in the scriptures to help us understand that the way it is doesn't have to be the way it's always going to be. That the Bible offers hope for relationships. And here's the thing, we understand the value of relationships, but we don't understand the vision for it. We know they're important. We just don't know what the heck to do with them. We know that we should value relationships, friendships, and, and families, and, and spouses, and boyfriends, and girlfriends, and siblings. Like we, we know that, but for some reason, we don't know what to do with it. We have the value, but seemingly we've lost the vision. So it brings the question and begs the question, where do we go from here? I was looking at some studies and 
Practically, what I see is in 1956, the average age of the man and woman who were getting married, for in 1956, men, it was 22 years old. And for women in 1956, it was 20 years old. Nowadays, the average age for a man getting married is 29, and for women, it's 27. We don't need to speak about the divorce rates that we're all aware of that are around or near 50%. And then for the people who are married, the percentage of people who are unhappily married, what all of these stats lead me to believe is that we are getting married later, we're getting married less, and they're not lasting. We're getting worse at it. In every area of relationships, we're not being successful. And so the Bible has something to say about this. I looked at a stat, and it says actually that by the age of 30 in America, by the age of 30, you will have had three heartbreaks in your life on average, which leads me to believe that there's a desire for relationship, but there's also maybe a pain that comes along with it. So what do we do? What, what are we left with? Desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm passionate about relationships and the way that we're going to prepare for them. Now, specifically, the Bible does not speak about dating because it wasn't a thing then. Dating is actually, the way that we do it, is a relatively new phenomenon. That people in antiquity, when the scriptures were written, they didn't go on dates you were set up by your families. You were, uh, 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 there were arranged marriages. There were ways in which people engaged in families, new families. And, and people said, your daughter can marry my son and my son can marry your daughter. And that's how relationships worked. Whether we like it or not, this is new. And the way that we're doing it requires a lot of wisdom, which is why I would encourage you, if you're looking for wisdom when it comes to relationships, specifically in the area of dating, where the Bible doesn't speak to that because it speaks about marriage, it speaks about singleness, it speaks about families, it speaks about friendships, but it doesn't speak about dating. So when there isn't a standard or a rule, we need to go by wisdom, biblical wisdom. So we're in the Proverbs. Give careful thought to the steps of your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about where you're moving. And the Bible doesn't speak about dating, but it sure does speak about decision-making. It sure does speak about the type of company that you keep, the type of qualities to look for in a man and in a woman. It sure does speak about how you are to treat people and how you are to treat yourself. It sure does speak about your bodies and your emotions. The Bible definitely has things to say about relationships. And here's a truth. We have been in this series for about six weeks and we can preach love and relationships until we're blue in the face. But if you do not have a revelation about the love of Jesus Christ, it will do nothing for you. We could do a whole nother six weeks of this series But if you have not received the grace and the love of Jesus to actually transform your life from the inside out and not just hear some stranger speaking from stage about how to microwave your relationships and make sure that they're the best with the least amount of pain and the least amount of effort possible, it won't do anything for you. We need a revelation of Jesus before we can actually engage in successful relationships. I'm going to speak about the way of relationships, the way of relationships. And practically, the way that Christians are to date is threefold. 
really simply. The Christian way to date is with Christ at the center, standing side by side, and community all around. That is the way that Christians are to date. And you could even say, this even goes broader than just dating and romantic relationships. This can, this can be in any area of your life, but specifically in romantic relationships, Christ at the center, standing side by side with community all around. Christ at the center. What this means practically is that we keep the main thing, the first thing. And we keep the first thing, the main thing. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing is that we have to love God with everything on the inside of us to have successful relationships. It's this this truth that that Christ is the son that that the, the universe of our relationship revolves around. It is the very thing that keeps our relationships in orbit that keeps us from going and spreading out in chaos. If the sun did not have the pull in our solar system that it does, every planet would be free to just go wherever they want, do whatever they want. They would have no standard. There would be no pull that keeps it together. In the same way, if we do not have something that ties us down, that is an anchor for our soul, if Christ is not at the center, the very center, the very genesis and revelation of your relationship, it will not succeed biblically. No matter how much that you want it to, because we have this idea that if I get married, it's successful. No, (laughs) that's not true. Marriage is not success. Success is a godly marriage. One that follows Jesus. One that is centered around Christ. One that has Christ at the center. There are, you can get married. That's not success. There are plenty of people who got married and guess what? They're either not happy or they're not together. It's not just about getting married. It's not just about having this experience and and having a person. It's about a godly marriage. One that is glorifying God. One that's honoring God. One that's loving God in everything that we do. See, because... What it does is that Christ, it, when Christ is at the center, it demands something of us. And also it dictates something to us. It's demanding that we live and treat each other in a certain way. And now everything that I have is being used to glorify God. And now God is using everything that I have to glorify him, including relationship. That my relationship is now used to make sure that I'm loving, honoring, glorifying God. Christ at the center. You know, I I truly believe that sometimes we have to become so dissatisfied with the way that the world is before we we become fully satisfied with who Christ is. Do I need to look around at friendships and families and see more just trails of body bags of broken relationships before I change? We see them every, I don't need to tell you, you know, they're your friends, they're my friends, they're your family, it's my family. Desperate times require desperate measures. 
When we get into this place where we become so dissatisfied with the way that the world has given us the, 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 the method of dating and the method of finding love, I pray honestly that the Holy Spirit would give us like this holy dissatisfaction with the world so that we might become fully satisfied with his way of doing things because the way that we've been doing things has not worked. And until I become truly dissatisfied with the culture and the way of this world, I will never actually come to the point to where I give up my way and follow his. There needs to become this holy dissatisfaction in us towards the way of the world and so we can have this holy satisfaction in the way of God. Christians, if you are following Jesus, to keep Christ at the center of your relationship means that you date with the intention of marriage. That you do not date for fun. You're not dating because you're lonely. You're not dating because you're bored. You're not dating because they're hot. You're not dating because they're fun. You're dating because you want to get married. And you date, and dating is the method to which you get to marriage. That's it. We date with the intention of marriage. When we do this, what it does is it keeps Christ at the center. Being married is a really, really good thing. It's a really, really good thing. We spoke a few weeks ago about how singleness is a good thing. It says singleness is a gift in 1 Corinthians 7. We talked about that. Some of you hated it because you're like, shut up. I don't want to hear that. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. And now I'll be on the other side. Singleness is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Marriage is a good thing. Amen? Amen. (laughs) I hope you're married. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. The Proverbs actually, Proverbs 18.22 says it this way. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That marriage is good. It's a... I want to make so many jokes right now, but I'm not going to. Here we go. Okay, focus tells. Marriage is a good thing. And so when we have this desire to be married and we have this impulse and this, 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 this urge and, and this heart to be loved and to love somebody else, that is a good thing. And dare I say, it's something that God put in your heart. I would believe that, that God placed on the inside of us a desire to be married. It's a good thing. And here's the thing. What I've learned is that sometimes because we think that it's a good thing from God, we try and take it any way that we can. And we don't go by God's plan. We go by our plan. And what we end up doing is we end up taking things right away instead of the right way. And God says, I want you to have this good thing, but I want you to have it the right way. And because we get impatient or lonely or desperate or, 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 or upset or bored, we all of a sudden start taking things under the guise of it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I want to be married. That's a good thing. It is a good thing. And if we do it a good thing the wrong way, it's not a good thing. We start to ruin. We start to, 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 to like d- d- destroy this beautiful and mar this beautiful gift that God has actually given us. Some of our biggest issues is that some of our feelings simply outrun our faith. They're just faster. They just run ahead. And we say, no, I believe, God, I'm going to get married and I'm going to make it happen. And so we outrun our faith. And they start going and moving. And here's the thing. 
Marriage is a good thing. It's so good. When we have our feelings that outrun our faith, we get in trouble. Feelings are a great passenger and a horrible driver. You know, when you're on a road trip, somebody's driving and uh, you're, you're going a long way. The driver is the most important spot. And the second most important spot is the passenger. Why? Because they have the aux, right? Like they control the music. They control the vibe. They set the scenario. They play the podcast or the music. They're the conversation that you have during the drive. And so, yeah, the driver is the most important, but the second most important is definitely the passenger, right? See, feelings can definitely add to your experience, but they will not get you to your destination. They will definitely enhance your drive and enhance the journey. And it's good, but you should never put them in the driver's seat. When our feelings outrun our faith, we are inevitably not going to end up where God wants us to be. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. But the issue is sometimes we try and take it into our own hands. We try and take this good thing into our own hands. And what I've realized is when we get impatient and when we start to uh, take things into our own hands because we think they're God things, but our feelings have outrun our faith, what we realize is that, and I've learned, is loneliness often lowers standards. When you're lonely, your standards get lower. It's just, it's just what happens. It's, it's like when you go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You're just going to buy anything. You're going to buy anything and everything. Why? Because you're hungry. When you're lonely, you'll date anything. Why? Because you're lonely. You want somebody to talk to. You want somebody to love. You want somebody to love you. You want somebody to be on FaceTime with until two in the morning. You want somebody to go on a vacation. You want somebody to text and to say you're pretty and to tell about your day. And all of those things are good things. But when loneliness lowers standards and when our feelings get ahead of our faith, what ends up happening is we start to become Abraham who now chooses Hagar because we couldn't wait on God. You remember Abraham? Hagar, a promise fulfilled through Abraham and Sarai. Abraham said, man, I'm getting up there in age. I don't know if I can do this thing. God, you said that you were going to give it to me, but I don't see it happening. And Sarah was like, hey, maybe you should just have a baby with Hagar. That'll be the child of the promise. The only issue is God did not promise the child or the promise father of many nations through Hagar. He promised it through Sarai. And so what they did is he had a child through Hagar. And then all of a sudden, a few chapters later, you realize he actually had a son through Sarai. And he's like, oh, no, I did the wrong thing. And he ends up because he's, and all of a sudden this, this horrible family drama and issue and pain results because he couldn't wait on God. When we have our feelings outrun our faith, when we don't have Christ at the center, we end up in a whole lot of pain. We end up maybe even out of God's purpose for our lives. Christ at the center. You see, if loneliness lowers standards, then I'm so encouraged by Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. If loneliness lowers standards, then that means practically that confidence in God strengthens patience. I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. 
If you have a desire to be married, don't lower your standards. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, trusting God is like a cloud in the desert. It might not promise rain, but it does promise hope. God might not promise you a marriage. It might not be God's will for your life that you get married. But trusting in God strengthens your patience. It gives you hope. It gives you something to set your eyes on so that you don't lower your standards and live out of season that God actually placed you in. I was um, on vacation a few years ago and uh, I was with my family and we got a chance to go scuba diving. And as we went scuba diving, there was the instruction he was teaching us. And he was like, when you go like 20 meters or 30 meters below the water, what happens is like the pressure gets really, really intense when you go that deep underwater. So as you put on the oxygen tank and, and the respirator or whatever, he said, when you go down, you can go down and then you breathe through your mouth, blah, blah, blah. But you can't go up too quickly because the pressure is going to be too drastic too quickly. And what he said... It's like your lungs are going to like rupture. Like it's super dangerous because the pressure is so crazy down there. And if the pressure gets really light when you come really quickly, then it's really, really bad for your lungs. And he was teaching us and we're like, all right, cool. So you go down slow and then you come up slow and all this type of stuff. So it's really, really important at which the speed in which you go down and come up, go down, come up, go down, come up. What I realized is that some of us honestly just need to take that same truth about letting ourselves acclimate when it comes to dating and breaking up. Because some of us get in relationships, break up, get in another relationship, break up, get in another relationship, break up, get in another relationship, break up, and we have never allowed our souls to acclimate to the new pressure of the season that we're in. And because we have not acclimated, and we keep going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, we end up hurting ourselves. And now, all of the sudden... We say, I have a trail and a history of broken relationships, and now I have a broken heart that I don't know what to do with. And the Lord is saying, you need to acclimate before you would associate. Let your soul acclimate to the season that it's in, not just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing so that you aren't lonely. But as you keep Christ at the center, you say, Lord, I might be disappointed. I might be sad. This might be difficult. I might not be where I want to be. But Lord, I trust you. And I'm going to acclimate to the season that I'm in and not just jump into another relationship. Christ at the center. And then we have standing side by side. Christ at the center of the way we date and standing side by side. It's not you in front of me or me behind you or you behind me or me in front of you. See, the issue for some of us is not dating. The issue for some of us is just dating well. You can get a date. Like, you can, you can download the app and get a date. That's not the issue, right? Like you can go to the bar or the club and you can find somebody. You can post a picture or slide in a DM and talk to somebody. The issue is not getting a date or finding a person. It's finding the right person. It's dating well. <laughs> when we date the way that we want, we don't always get the results that we need. It's not about finding somebody. It's about finding the right person. I was... 
on a fishing trip recently, and I don't know why all of my analogies today are having to deal with water, but I was scuba diving and now I'm fishing, but here we are. I was on a fishing trip, and uh, <laughs> we were out in the Chesapeake Bay, and fishing for who knows what, like catfish and was it perch or something like that when we was out there, and uh, as we were fishing out there, the, the, the captain, he would like go to a spot, he'd have the radar, know which fish are there, and what he would do is he would grab the, the, um, the fishing rod and he'd put a, a certain piece of bait on it, he'd drop it down, we fish and catch like a catfish or whatever. And then I realized we would like drive or a, a, a ride like 100 yards, couple hundred yards some other place, he would grab the fishing rod, put a new piece of, a different piece of bait on it, and drop it down and we'd catch like a different fish. And I was looking around, and I was like, hey, like, I don't understand. Like, we just caught that fish over here, and now we're catching this fish over here. Like, what's going on? And he mentioned that actually when you're fishing, you need to go to a certain location with a certain bait to catch a certain fish. Some of y'all already know. Do I need to say it? I'm glad you're with me. Some of us... <laughs> don't have issues catching fish, we got issues catching the wrong fish. Why? Because we're going to a certain location with a certain bait, catching a certain fish. You're going to the club, dressed like you dress. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I'm allowed to say that. You know where I'm coming from. Some of your biggest success will come from changing your location and changing your lures. Simply. Y'all are in the wrong spot with the wrong bait. And here's the thing. It, it's, it's really sad because some of us have been catching fish with our bodies as bait, with money as bait, with a good time as bait, with fun and attraction as bait. I wonder, can we catch people with kindness as bait and with humility as bait and with service and with character as bait? What are you catching? What are you catching? He's standing side by side. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And Romans chapter 12, verse 10 simply says this, gives us a really, really clear way on how we are to treat each other, standing side by side in a relationship. It says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, really simple. Be devoted to one another in love and outdo one another in honor. Be devoted to one another in love and outdo one another in honor. Practically, be devoted to one another in love. Love God first and love them second. When you have God at the center and you prioritize the Lord in your relationship, that is how you devote to one another in love because you have a right ordered love. The scriptures actually tell us um, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not yoke yourself to a non-believer. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because if they don't love Jesus well, they can't love you well. What a yoke is, essentially, it's this tool that was used to be put on oxen that would have them walk together and tread the field. The thing that you would never do with an oxen as they tread the field is pair a giant oxen with a weak oxen because what you would find is that at best they would go off course and at worst they would go in circles. Some of us just simply have been paired with somebody who is not in love with Jesus. And when I say yoke yourself with a non-believer, I'm not saying they're interested in church. That's not a believer. I'm not saying that they grew up religious. 
That's not a believer. I'm not saying that their parents were deacons. That's not a believer. I'm not saying that they were baptized when they were a baby. That's not a believer. I'm saying, are they fully devoted to Jesus? Are they enamored with their king? Is everything centered around their life focused on pleasing and glorifying him? Would they love him if they weren't with you? Don't yoke yourself with a non-believer. It says, if they can't love Jesus well, they can't love you well. You can't run with somebody who's running in a different direction. They're going this way and you're going this way. This, they are their own king. Jesus is yours. You can't yoke yourself with people who are not running in the same direction that you're running. <laughs> Standing side by side. You can't get, you can't give what you don't have. They can't give you what you're looking for. They have not received the full grace and love of Jesus that transformed their heart of stone into a heart of flesh and now have their core desires in line so they can have their critical desires in line to love you well. This is what I call, when we date in this way, when we're uh, expecting somebody to fulfill desires that they were not designed to fulfill, is what I call placing saving weight in sinful places. I expect them to be a Messiah towards me, save me in some kind of way. And when we do that, when we place a saving weight in a sinful place, what it does is that it's going to make them feel inadequate and you feel, uh, um, um, you're gonna, they're going to feel inadequate and then you're going to feel um, um, disappointed. When you place that saving weight on that person, it's us standing side by side and out uh, devote to one another in love and outdo one another in honor. You see, honor in a romantic relationship will be your biggest fail-safe and your best foundation. Why? Your biggest fail-safe because if you break up, you will leave them better than you found them. And if you get married, you have laid a great foundation for your marriage. Honor is your best failsafe and your best foundation. When in doubt, honor them. Honor them physically, honor them emotionally, honor them spiritually, honor them relationally. You honor that person because it honors God. And it's going to leave them better than how you found them. I want to go deeper, but I, I yeah, God will do it. <laughs> You honor them, and here's the truth. You don't honor them the way that you want to honor them. And you don't honor them the way that they want to be honored. Because when you're romantically involved with somebody, how many of you know that sometimes you will tolerate what you should terminate? No, you just don't know them. No, like, you, 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 like I know, I know, but you don't know them like I know them. Like, I, I've been with it. Like, no, 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 they have a great heart. Like, I know them. Like, we've been through it. No. Listen, don't excuse somebody's actions because you know their heart. That's not it. It, it, it. You don't honor them the way that you want to honor them. You don't honor them the way that they want to be honored. You honor them the way that God wants you to honor them. That's how you honor somebody in every area of their life. You might be hearing this message and saying, this sounds very, very picky. And what I would say is absolutely. 
Absolutely, it's picky. Absolutely, it's high standards. Abs- yes, unapologetically. Be picky. Why? Because if somebody has high influence in your life, you need to have high standards of them. Anybody who can influence you in such a degree that is, is as impactful as marriage, you need to have a high standard. Why? Because the scripture says that the two become one. The scriptures say, actually, that this is a representation of Christ in the church. The scriptures say that when we uh, 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 engage in relationships to this degree, it's going to affect the, the, the course of our lives. I need to be picky. Why? Because who I marry is going to be my greatest lid or my greatest launch pad. You make two covenant relationships in your life. One is God and one is your spouse. The only covenant relationships in your life, the most important earthly relationship in your life is your spouse, who you marry. So therefore, I'm going to be picky about who I marry. I'm going to have a high standard because they have high influence. Lastly, community all around. Christ at the center, standing side by side in community all around. Really simply, we, when we date, we need to be surrounded rather than secluded. You know, you, you, you know when your boy or your girl gets in a relationship and then you, like, never see them again? <laughs> right? Like, they, they find somebody and then they, like, fall in love and then, like, you can't hang out with them. You can't FaceTime them. They don't come to nothing. And if they do come, then their significant other's there. And it's just like that. They become so obsessed with their other half that now they're just like AWOL and abandoned and, and you can't find them anywhere. That is so dangerous in relationships when you're secluded. We need to be surrounded in relationships. And I'm not talking about like the whole church knows all your business. I'm saying that you have your people who know you and love God. Why? It says Proverbs eleven fourteen. There is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. There's a wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Listen, if you're by yourself, the devil doesn't need to plot and plan to destroy your relationships. You will do that all by yourself. If you're alone, the devil don't need to attack you. Why? Because I will attack myself. I will self-destruct if left to myself. I won't be able to move forward if I'm left to myself. I don't trust myself. The Bible actually mentions in Jeremiah 17, 9, that actually the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Following your heart. What? What? It is sick. It is foolish to follow something you can't trust. And some of us are following our heart because we think we know best. We know ourselves best. We're going to do whatever we feel like is right for us to do. And let me tell you something. That is some of the worst advice ever. It's unbiblical. It's not following Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell you to follow your heart. Actually, the Bible tells you to actually guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else for everything that you do flows from it. (laughs) everything that you do flows from your heart. So guard it. 
Take care of it. Don't just give it to anybody. Don't just let anybody have access to it. Why? Because it's so valuable. Everything on the inside of you comes from your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of your heart is who you truly are. So we guard it. We don't follow it. We submit it to God and we submit it to relationships and say, I know this is what I want. I'm not sure if it's really what I want. And I don't know if it's what I need. And so God, you know what I need and you know what I want. And my friends really know what I want. And I know they'll pray about what I really need. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it out of my hands and I'm going to show it to my community. I'm going to show it to my God. And I'm going to say, I know what I want, but I don't know if what I want is really what I want. So I'm going to ask God, what do you want? Because what you want is actually what I want. And when I get what you want, I'm actually going to get what I want. So (sighs) please, we don't follow our heart. We guard our heart. We submit it to God. And we lean into godly relationships. We lean into relationships where people know us and they love God. For all of the intricacies of relationships, this is where you go. You find people in your community who know you and who love God. Why? Because if they love God, but they don't know you, it's simply me giving you advice from stage. It can be true. It might not be accurate. I don't know your life. I don't know the context. One, me saying something that you need to bear with somebody and you need to carry their burdens might be true for somebody. And for the other person, I might say bear their burdens and carry them. And you actually might need to leave them. You actually might need to block their number. I love God and I'm going to give you this truth of scripture, but I don't know your context. You need to find somebody who loves God and knows you if they just know you, but they don't love God. They're going to give you some specific advice. It's not going to be biblical advice. It's not going to help you from the Holy Spirit, and they're not going to pray with you and warn the Spirit with you about what God's purpose is for you. You need somebody who doesn't just know you, doesn't just love God, but knows you and love God. How many, body, how many people are in a small group? Raise your hand. Just make some noise if you're in a small group. Those are the people you go to when you're in issues and situations like this. Is you go to people who know you and people who love God. Christ at the center, standing side by side, community all around. And lastly, the why of relationships. Simply as I close, the why of relationships is this. It's because marriage is so important to God. The why, the goal, why do we place so much value? Why aren't we doing this? Is because marriage is so important to God. Marriage isn't just about me. Marriage is also about God. <laughs> Some of our issues, I think, that we find in culture that I've seen nowadays is that we date for the wedding and not for the marriage. We date for the one day and how it looks and how we feel and the passion, and, 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 and how good they look, and, 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 and how fun it is, and, 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 and how they make me feel, and, and the extravagance, and the exterior, and the happily ever after sexy, cool pictures, and, and we live and we date for that moment. Instead of dating for the marriage, listen, the wedding is one day of the rest of your life. Instead of dating for the marriage, which is 
dating for the character and, and, and the spouse and the husband or the wife after 40 years and the father or the mother that you're going to be parenting with or the, the disciplined, kind, mature, patient one who listens before they speak and leads with curiosity and humility. If we would just start not dating for the wedding, but dating for the marriage, what kind of person am I getting involved with? Are they going to be a great dad to my kids or not? Or am I just going to look at the one moment and how it makes me feel and the emotions and, and all of these things that inevitably are going to fade? The wise, because marriage is crucially important to God. See, people might be honored at your wedding, but God is honored through your marriage. When I look at scripture, I just find over and over that God wants a godly marriage for you more than you do for you. God wants you to be in successful, God-honoring relationships more than you want to be in successful, God-honoring relationships. Truthfully, because God cares so much about marriage. Did you know that the Bible is actually sandwiched between two marriages? The whole Bible. In Genesis, what you find is you find Adam made in the image of God with the animals and, and the whole world and God to talk to and he has a relationship with him. He has a job. He has accountability and authority. But God says that there's one thing wrong is it's not good because he's alone. He brings Eve to get married. This beautiful depiction of what God wants for us to be united and together. In the first couple books, pages of the Bible, you find it starts with the marriage. And then you go to the last few pages of the Bible in Revelation and you see that it ends with a marriage. You find the wedding feast of the Lamb. And you find the bridegroom coming back for his bride. You find Jesus Christ coming back for his church. You, can't, you find the lover coming back for his beloved. Jesus is coming back for you. And when we see the purpose and the why of marriage in the context of God's entire plan for the cosmos, we see that marriage is not just about me. It's not just about me being happy. Because God's purpose in marriage is not just simply to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to make you like him. It's to be set apart and to be different. It's actually to be almost a prophetic declaration about God and us. It's actually supposed to tell the world about God's unquenchable, redeeming, relentless love for us. And so my marriage now takes on this whole new identity. And it's not just about me being happy. It is not just about me and about what I want and what I think is best. Now my marriage and my relationships are framed in the entire idea that this is representing a greater thing than just my happiness. It's my holiness. And it's a prophetic declaration to the world about God's unquenchable love. 
that you are the object of his love. And as we receive that love, we realize that my marriage and my relationships and the way that I act is a picture, not just about me, but about my God. And now my marriage, is, it's, its perspective is greater than me. Now it's about not just me, but it's about God. See, this is how we date. This is how we engage in relationships. This is the why that we date and the, and the way that we date with community all around and Christ at the center and standing side by side because desperate times call for desperate measures. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are so good. God, and we honor you. We say, Jesus, that you are right and you're holy in the way that you shape relationships and the way that you want us to engage in relationships. And so we're going to follow your lead. God, open our hearts to see it rightly, to have you placed at the center, for us to be standing side by side, in order for community to be all around knowing that marriage and relationships are for more than just us, they're for you. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen.